0: Monster Talk.
3: Hey there. What follows is an audio version of an interview originally recorded as part of our Monster Talk live streaming series that Karen and I hosted during 2020. As of this posting, we're not currently doing those live shows, but they are archived on YouTube. You can check the show notes for a link to this particular episode. And the live format's definitely something we're going to try to get back to in the future. These episodes do not get the normal editing treatment of a traditional Monster Talk, and because of the variety of issues that happen during live recordings, the audio quality may be wildly varied, and you should assume there will be some not safe for work content, so I'm posting all these as explicit just in case. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting Monster Talk. Your contributions at patreon.com forward slash Monster Talk, and your positive reviews on the podcasting platforms and applications that you use to listen. Help us reach new listeners and spread the important message that monsters can be a great tool to learn critical thinking. We need critical thinking now more than ever. Monster Talk is hosted by me, Blake Smith, and my co-host, Dr. Karen Stolzno. If you enjoy this show, please check out our deep catalog of fascinating interviews with experts about psychology, sociology, anthropology, folklore, religion, and more. Monster Talk. All right,
0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us.
3: Absolutely. Welcome to Monster Talk Live. Is this
0: our fourth yeah, episode? It, feels it like is it our fourth. We've been doing this for a month already, which says a lot about how long we've been quarantining. And I think a, I've been quarantining maybe two weeks even prior to that.
3: And as an exercise in procrastination, I still have not posted our previous episodes on YouTube, but I'm going to. I'm going yeah. to. It's really going to happen. I believe it will happen this week, barring unforeseen horrors which well, the world you seems oh,
0: now that you've already done it and then oh yeah yeah if, and
3: if you can't see it it's probably something wrong on your end <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
0: well good to see you anyway so it's sunday april the 12th and uh yeah we're still doing this because we're still quarantining and i don't know if anyone's here yet i still i'm not seeing anyone in the chat room normally we've got people coming through and saying hi maybe um they've forgotten yeah. already
3: let me well i don't think so but in fact well you know this is real live and we're clearly using the same level of technology that the um
0: oh, here we go network tv um, is some comments hey awesome.
3: there we go cool yeah like i said there'd be a delay but that's all right so um, good evening yeah good evening
0: really <laughs> This is going to be fun.
3: We've got a, a, you know, in in this time when a lot of us are stuck at home with um, limited access to our old old lives, Um, this will be a fun look. (laughs) By the way, yes, Happy Easter! Yeah. Um, Happy Easter, everyone! Yeah, yeah.
0: We can still say that even if we don't practice.
3: Oh yeah! I mean, I I don't practice all of the cultural stuff, but I certainly have candy. candy. Exactly. So we had a rainy Easter uh, year, everyone. But lots of good stuff. We've
0: had a snowy Easter. Really? Yeah, snowing wow. in April. Yeah. It's been snowing all day. It hasn't really built up, but it has been snowing. So that's. Yeah. So,
3: oh, uh, so again, um, for mm-hmm. people who want to support the show, we are on monstertalk.org uh, and we are at mm-hmm. patreon.com forward slash monster talk. And mm-hmm. we're at Facebook. Just look up the word monster talk, all one word. You'll find us. And if you're watching this on the live stream, uh, mm-hmm. feel free to post questions we'll try to get to those tonight we've got yeah. a really fun guest a repeat guest friend of the show jerry what? drake i think he's been uh, on. This
0: is probably his third time or fourth yeah, yeah third or fourth
3: yeah so he's getting up there Yeah. so um are you ready to, we're going to be talking about um a couple of things uh, well we'll yes. introduce jerry but the yes. we're gonna be talking about uh black-eyed kids and the aurora ufo uh uh which was part of the the uh, great airship flap of the late 1800s. So, yeah, it let- wasn't
0: that the very first uh, UFO sighting? Yeah. In that let's, area.
3: let's bring in Jerry. You ready?
0: Let's do that. I'm ready. Debug the Easter bunnies so my grandkids get off my back. <laughs> Hi,
3: Hello,
2: how are you?
0: <laughs> Good. How are you doing?
2: I'm good, and uh, since nobody's counting, this is my seventh appearance on my. We were oh, definitely no. not counting.
0: Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, sixth, We're coming yeah. to us so, live
3: from a Barnes and Noble, it looks like. So, yeah, <laughs> this is a Barnes.
2: Yeah, March. yeah. This uh, this is the uh, most terrifying and cursed uh, Barnes and Noble in America, by the mm. way. So uh, <laughs> this is this is my home study in Pennsylvania slash currently my office. Workout room, <laughs> conference center. We're <laughs> trying to keep everything contained to one room during COVID. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Oh,
0: very cool to have you back on again. And so uh, this this episode is The Tex Files. Tex Files. We're going to be talking with you about uh, two investigations that you've conducted in Texas. So when were you in Texas? You used to live I, there?
2: I am from Texas. No, oh. I was I was born in Texas in 1974 out near oh. Lubbock and uh uh, (laughs) you've been to lubbock wow yeah yeah uh
0: you better tell the legend story
2: did you turn (laughs) the light out when you left
3: (laughs) no but you know we uh well actually we have an upcoming guest we'll be talking all about lubbock really soon oh oh, okay great
2: i think Mm -hmm. i might know who that guest is so there you go Uh, very
3: likely probably do Uh, yeah
2: um yeah, so I grew up in Texas, uh, lived the early part of my life out near Lubbock in the middle of nowhere. And then my parents moved to Dallas uh, in 1979. And I went to school there, met my wife there. And uh, we, we met in high school, well, late high school, and started doing these uh, sort of investigations together. This was the thing we had in common. <clears throat> On one of the episodes, I talk about the Goatman's Bridge, which has now been made famous by the, the Ghost Adventures crew. Uh, Vicky and I—that was our first investigation what was that? together. Yeah, what's that? Oh, oh, bro, no, bro, no, bro. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and we we investigated every major thing in Texas uh, over the years that we lived there, and uh, we moved to Washington D.C. in two thousand in uh, two thousand and eight. It's been a while, okay. and we've been up here in Pennsylvania. We we have a place in D.C. and a place here in Penn. And York County is probably one of, it's considered one of America's sort of hotspots for the paranormal. That's one of the reasons we we moved here. So this is just deep in lore. In fact, we were out investigating a spot yesterday. So, uh, But mm-hmm. we probably have enough investigations to actually sit down and fill a book on Texas. And a lot of oh, them we shoot. did before <laughs> the internet and before the History Channel became the paranormal channel.
3: Before so, the internet, Jerry, how is that internet. possible?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're old.
3: <laughs> we're, no, how, how could you like How, could, around, how like, could you research anything before Wikipedia? <laughs> so they had this. They had this machine
2: at the library, <laughs> and, it, and it had you put these big reels of microfilm on it, and you turned them and looked at old newspapers for 14, 15 hours at a time.
0: We have oh, done that yeah, too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So most of the research I'm going to talk about tonight was actually done that way back in the old days by just going to the university library and, and going through old, old files looking for creepy stuff, Charles Ford style.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to do it. I mean, we've certainly like, solved some mysteries that way by going back that far. And a lot of that information still isn't online yet. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's fun to do that in a library.
3: We watched uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. With, uh, I nice. watched that with the kids the other night, which was fun. And mm-hmm. there's a point in the story where I paused and I said, to kids, if you were in this movie, if you were having this happen to you, we're at the point now where we know what the mystery is. What would you do next? And they just sort of stared at me. I, I I don't think they got where I was going with this. I said, "What would happen next is research. You need to go to the library." And then we hit play, and I'd never seen the movie before. And the very next thing is we go to the newspaper morgue and then the library and they start doing the, re- say, it's the research phase this is my favorite part. It's like, exactly. You don't just start doing stuff. You, you go find out what's going on first. So
2: Well, my, my wife, my wife is an academic librarian. So, you know, I like to think she got hard in that field by doing this stuff. I just, somebody asked me one time what I, what I wish my, uh, if I could have a superpower, the superpower mm-hmm. I would like is to be able to do things via montage like, oh yeah! I want to oh do, yes. do all the research, just put on like eye of the tiger and then all, everything gets done before that song's <laughs> over. Like that's just, the research takes, I'm working on a case right now that I've been working on for a, uh, about six months. And it's just, even with access to online, you know, journals and stuff, it's just really mm-hmm. a nightmare. So, yeah. but it's fun. Like it, it keeps you from, uh, you know, having a life outside the home.
3: <laughs> well i mean we, we're,
0: of us have right now. we
3: are so okay. fortunate how many books are available online or as ebooks right. for oh, people yeah. who like mm-hmm. to go back and do historical research it's so much fun oh by the way someone mm-hmm. asked um when these will be on youtube what's the url going to be that's why we have a switch to the live feed i've got to figure that out but um my i have we're going to have a monster talk uh group page of some sort and uh it, it'll be posted yeah, we do
0: there. have a youtube channel already. we do um, um so i guess we can connect it to that we'll, yeah we'll figure it out soon
3: so it's it been around a while
0: jerry too oh hey it's jerry so yeah some fans through oh hey. so which which story should we start with then because they're both really cool stories they are
2: we... can we start with black-eyed kids because that is short and and I and I think you guys will like where it's going because this involved a lot of library research using the TV guide. Hmm. So <laughs> that might be a you little. say that, uh,
0: that that's their favorite band, so I think they're confusing them with the Black Eyed Peas. But... The Black Eyed Peas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey,
2: uh, yeah. I had that song stuck in my head when I was going through these notes today. One of the things I love is that this ca- this thing blew up like crazy, like everything is black eyed kids. Now it's like Slender man, you know, where it's, it's gotten into everything and they've made movies about it, but it actually started in Abilene, Texas really early. The first posting about black eyed kids was August 28th, 1997. And it showed up on a, a guy named I, I made a few notes out of my old notebook. So if you see me looking over here, that's what I'm looking at. The guy's name who originated the black eyed kids was a guy named Brian Bethel. And he wrote for the local paper and most of the sources call him a newspaper reporter. Uh, Maybe he actually wrote like spiritual, a spiritualist column for the local Abilene paper. And he spent a lot of, yeah. Yeah. He didn't really do straight journalism. I think he eventually went on to do more straight journalism. I mean, he's still around. He gets interviewed about the black eyed kids all the time. I mean, the most recent one was uh, uh, just a couple of years ago. But the original uh, posting uh, showed up on the old uh, Alt Ghost Stories uh, uh, listserv in 97. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where I saw it back in the day. Now, I, hung out I remember, all the time.
3: but, but what's, what's listserv, Jerry? I don't know what listserv <laughs> I mean. yeah. So,
2: yeah, true enough. We should probably do that. So before the Internet, uh, if you wanted to talk to your friends on a computer you bought a Commodore 64, or if you were real fancy, an IBM PC, which cost about as much as, you know, a car and a college education today. Uh, and you bought a modem, and you told your mom not to call grandma for three hours,
1: right. and you plugged the modem into
2: this box, and yeah. you dialed a number, and you could call in, and you would post on the, the internet, the, the, the bulletin board um, as in BBS bulletin board system, your question or your comment or your story, and then you would log out and wait three or four days and then log back in. And, uh, people would, uh, people would answer you. So it was really kind of cool because you had to be a little sophisticated to use the machine. And then, um, you couldn't really do the, the toxic internet thing because it took so gee damn long to get logged into it so it was always very friendly so when the early internet was born those bulletin boards sort of got migrated into these listservs which was a place where you could post something in this sort of large running forum
3: yeah go ahead i want to i want to comment that um it was interesting because things were posted in the historically threaded behavior like yes so you didn't have an algorithm moving people's posts around and telling you this is what you'll be most interested in yes you could just Mm -hmm. you could just read things in the order they were posted and i swear it kind of made sense
2: and a bunch of librarians and the yahoo search engine actually launched a project to try to index all those with with metadata and uh when i was working i had i had just got a uh um I just got a job at the University of Texas at Dallas as the circulation librarian. It was my first job right out of undergraduate school, and uh, uh, one of the things I did all day while I was waiting for people to come up and check out books was do paranormal research on the, on the school's high speed internet. Like you and do, then, uh, yeah, because we had dial up cable dial up at home and work on Y two K. So that was sort of how I spent my whole day, and uh, I hung out a lot on the. Uh, on these ghost stories, magic, all the good ones. And there was a subreddit, or a subreddit, we call it that now. There was a subform there uh, for Ghost Stories of Texas. And the main Mm -hmm. ghost stories thread, this guy uh, had posted the Black Eyed uh, Kids um, story. I remember reading it. I I know that is not a fiction, but I don't remember thinking about it until a, Mm -hmm. a few years later and going back to it. And I think a couple of other people have found that posting, I, I think it still shows up on the internet, but that's where he told his original uh, Black Eyed kid story. So a mm. uh, flash forward a few years and all this stuff gets very popular. And I was like, you know, I remember that thing. I, I remember people talking about it. And I also had a vague memory in my head of sort of creatures with black eyes sort of being in the zeitgeist in the late 90s. And mm. I never could quite put my finger on it. And when I moved to Austin a few years later, just a couple of years later, it was actually in after Y2K, uh, after we got all that stuff settled, I got a job as a historian. I was transitioning into what became my professional career and was doing archival and metadata work and all that stuff. Uh, still very young. And I had to go out and do a speaking engagement in Adeline, which is where... Um, uh, this took place, which is where Brian was at. And I thought, you know what? I got nothing to do. Uh, Abilene is Bible belt Baptist country. So the bar's all closed at six 30. So I can go eat <laughs> at dinner at, you know, Olive garden and drink some wine and then wander <laughs> around downtown Abilene, which is exactly what I did. And I found the spot. Uh, he claimed in the original story that he had to pay his uh, internet bill. Uh, yeah. and in those days, you know, you got internet from every fly by night was an internet provider. And his internet provider was called Camelot Communications, found the spot where it was, it's where AT&T is now in downtown Abilene, uh, next door to the Paramount Theater, which is a historic theater, which has got an interesting uh, backstory. And then he said he pulled into the parking lot across the street, he was using the the marquee lights of the theater to write out his check for his internet service. And then he was going to go put it in the Dropbox, and he said the movie that was showing was uh, Mortal Kombat. Well, the Paramount Theater was a dollar theater at that time, so Mortal Kombat came out in summer of 96. Uh, so he would have had to have seen this. This would have had to have happened in late fall, early um, summer of 97, late fall, 96, early summer of 97. So we kind of have a time frame for when this happened. Mm-hmm. And he said, a boy and a girl walked up. Everybody knows the famous story now. And they said, hey, mister, you know, uh, open your car. We need help. We want to go in and see the movie. Give us some money so we can go see the movie. He realized the movie, he said, had already been running an hour. Um, yada, yada, yada. He slams on the gas and he says he tore out of the uh, the parking lot and left. Well, all those places are there and it's all, you know, a real spot. That uh uh. That theater is famous because the Paramount and Abilene was one of maybe five or six theaters that got chosen in the United States to run Dracula uh, a few uh, a few days before it actually came out in 1933. They picked a hand. Some Star Wars did the same thing. They picked a handful of theaters uh, where they ran the movie early. And one of the things I've always wanted to do is try to get into the back of that theater and dig around and see if some of the old movie posters are still there. And I actually tried on that trip, but I couldn't get anybody that would let me in. They're like, Oh, there's no manager here. And I was like, "Ah, oh, you lying sex. Of course there's a manager here. You just don't want me to come in there. Um, so I thought, yeah, okay. So this kind of checks out. So maybe he did see something. And then, you know, uh, I, I was sitting around not too long later and I thought, You know, the Internet got a little bit more sophisticated and I started Googling things and I realized, you know, what was on TV in 96, 97? Well, of course, it was The X-Files. And if you guys remember, there's a period uh, in the early seasons of The X-Files where uh, Gillian Anderson's character, Scully, gets pregnant in real life. So they film a season where... She is largely off camera. They they do a thread spoiler alert where she gets cancer from an alien infection called Purity, or the Black Oil, right? And right and there's a whole long year long series of these where the symptom of the Black Oil. There's the the villain is called Alex Krychek. and you know it was a really dramatic year. It's one of the best years on.
3: Yeah, um, we're, we're doing this relatively non spoilery, right? Okay, yeah.
2: yeah. But one of the symptoms of this is that your eyes turned totally black.
3: Yeah. right? Uh-huh. And you walked
2: around, uh, you know, possessed, acting like a weirdo. So spoilers are over. And I thought, well, I wonder how that fits into the timeline of the black eyed kids. So. Mm-hmm. I did some more research and I, I, this research is not unique to me. I know that a couple of others have since put this timeline together, but not the X-Files thing. I think that is unique to what I've come up with. Mm -hmm. But I went back and looked at some of those through the the Yahoo project and looked at some of those archived posts from those days. And uh, on, in July, on July 30th of 97, Brian gets online and posts about thought form creations and he speculates- which we,
3: Yeah, which we've talked- let's Briefly, we've talked about that yeah. a little bit before. Um, in pop culture, well, I shouldn't say pop culture. In paranormal pop culture, for the, really since the theosophists, they're the ones who really sort of stole yeah. this. Um, they call this a tulpa. Tulpa. And we've had on um, uh, Natasha Nichols and Joe Laycock to talk about this and Great. how that, that's an idea from Buddhism that has a very specific Buddhist meaning but that the theosophists have repurposed it to become a generic, if enough people believe it or if one person believes it enough, it becomes corporeal and real. You know.
2: Yeah, one of Helena Blavatsky's students, not Helena herself, right. mistranslated Chulpa into meaning uh, what we think of as a thought form. Brian did not use that phrase. I don't think it had come into the overarching pop culture in the late 90s. And he's referring to Bloody Mary. His post on Outmagic, M a m a g i c k for the Crowley out there, uh, was about summoning Bloody Mary. (laughs) It's not sexy if it doesn't have a K. It was about summoning Bloody Mary as a thought form. And he speculates, well, maybe if we create a mythology um, around some kind of a creature and enough people believe in it, uh, we can bring it into existence. So uh, about a month later, he posts the uh, Black Eyed Kids story on... um, out ghost stories well mm-hmm. i thought uh, i wonder wonder if he was an x-files fan i wonder what was going on on the x-files during that week mm-hmm. you know having remembered that that uh that uh, that story arc so sure mm-hmm. enough that was the year of the of the the black oil story arc and x-files in those days you know they they had a season before summer and a season after summer and mm-hmm. the season went on hiatus in uh may it came back in november but it ran every sunday at nine they ran repeats and sure enough if you go back to your handy archive tv guide you discover that the sunday before um he made his post was Mm -hmm. an episode of the x-files i've got it written down here in the notes called um terma part two and the two terma stories dealt with these black-eyed creatures running around as zombies uh, freaking people out, so you know you're laying. Around, you know, in Abilene, Texas, even with cable in 1997, you still only had a couple channels, and the X Files was a show everybody watched. And mm-hmm. you kind of put two and two together and figure that Mr. Paranormal, you know, was probably you know watching that on the couch, maybe he had a nightmare or something. And so, indeed, like,
3: you're saying <laughs> that the black-eyed kids came after the X Files showed black-eyed people
2: four days later. <laughs> Really, yes, four days later.
3: So that basically makes them another scripted.
2: That's what I think. A scripted, yeah, yeah, just like uh, I think they're just like the Chupacabra, it's something that got into somebody's head. And when you factor in some of Brian's earlier posts where he's talking about maybe we can create a thought form if enough people believe in it, you know, Mm -hmm. that's that those three pieces of evidence seem pretty convincing to me that you know he saw something in the pop culture that was scary, and those episodes were Mm -hmm. scary, like that was early sort of attempts to make that sort of special effect i could not find any other references to sort of black-eyed stuff prior to the x-files um, right. i looked into this pretty heavy it was typically whites of the eyes um there was a hammer film where telly Savalas shows up and his eyes are all <laughs> whited out you know, you remember that one? Scared <laughs> the terror, shit terror, out of the Train, husband. right? Terror Train, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, there's Mausoleum, where the, the dead guy's eyes are all whited out. But Black Eyes seems mm-hmm. to be pretty unique to the X Files, and they spent a whole year doing that thing. So, yeah.
0: Well, we, had question, we had a question earlier on, maybe about 10 minutes ago, with someone asking if you think there's any connection between Indigo Children and black-eyed children oh, I think I... children didn't they come out in the 80s that was kind of 80s thing
2: oh i'm an indigo child i i was born in, <laughs> in 1974 during the philip k dick uh two three uh uh you 70s, know, yeah i was born right right the day that happened uh i have a high iq and i've got uh, B negative blood so i'm an indigo child <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go with, with black eyes
2: and I, I don't have black eyes. I have hazel colored eyes in no hair. So I, I do not think the black eyed kids are connected to indigo children. I've not seen that in a mythology. Um, I've been researching black eyed kids for a long time because I'm kind of documenting the explosion of the folklore. I love, love, love um, uh, folklore where you can really date it to the start. I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm so fascinated with Mormonism, because mm-hmm. we have such a rich history of the birth of a, of a modern religion and, you know, both, uh, you know black eyed kids and aurora a little bit were kind of at the start of the, the the birth of a mythology and we talked a lot about that um in our in our episodes related to uh the Daros and Taros and all that stuff. Oh yeah,
3: yeah yeah. yeah.
2: Black Eyed yeah. Kids is so great because it's it's sort of the first internet born modern mythology and now it's it's literally everywhere if you see how many google searches come up whenever you put in black the first
3: ideas. but not the only i mean we've the slender yeah. man uh, yeah. the, the hat man um i think there's going to be a lot of these i mean um you know in a sense once something's born memetically it never dies like it right. never dies so
0: well i didn't know that this went back to the 90s because just looking this up on youtube there are a lot of contemporary stories oh, just yeah. the last couple of years and uh, a lot of people who've uh, just done interviews on the topic have said oh this is something that's um, just come up a couple of years ago and it's just really popular and really common now so I didn't know it went back that far um, because it's just it seems like there must be a resurgence then I guess just periods oh, of it being popular and then going away and coming back.
2: I I I really think that's it. Is that um, Black Eyed Kids was sluggish in the beginning, and um, I really sort of date the the blow up of it to Creepypasta when Creepypasta started to show up on the web. This is probably arguably the first incident of Creepypasta that took off and sort of melded into reality. And he's Brian has been off and on about whether or not the story is real or mm-hmm. uh, or not. Um, somebody in the comments brought up Flannel Man. Flannel Man is uh, a character that a friend of mine, uh, Tim Renner, over at Strange Familiar's podcast has been documenting. And he's basically a backwoods version of the hat man. Uh, shows up in people's okay. dressed like the brawny man. Um, and uh, it, there's a lot of uh, really interesting folklore around this guy. A couple of people have dated sightings of dudes wearing flannel um, back a few years, uh, so I don't think that phenomenon was invented. I just think it's a way people. <laughs> so
0: what flannel? I don't know flannel man. Flannel I mean, I mean,
2: I've, I've been flannel man, but I don't really know.
0: Flannel man. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, a lot of people I know. Flannel
2: is an East Coast backwards <laughs> version of the hat man. He's a guy that shows up when you are about to fall asleep. Except instead of being dressed like you know uh, Stevie Ray Vaughn, he's dressed like the brawny man so you know, really
3: yeah that's weirdly it's like
0: like a flannel flannelette yeah like, like
3: it's like wearing the, offer the offer red flannel it's like you know yeah, yeah that that's absolutely
0: that's like a, I don't, not
3: terrorizing it, unless i'm a tree i don't you know it's
0: like, <laughs> oh
3: shit he's gonna chop me that's, down <laughs>
0: well, it's like the unique thing
2: about flannel man is that he's not he's not scary he's surprised when you see him like a lot of people see him in their house and he's like whoa what are you doing here and, uh,
0: he, then you find out it's your husband. Yeah.
3: <laughs> he, I didn't he, even know I was married to a dude, but here we are. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> like, It's what you're dreaming of. No, um, he fits into a piece of uh, uh, some German mythology.
3: Uh, I'm just gonna, uh, hey, if I had to be gay, the brawny man is not a bad man choice. <laughs> <strong, laughs> the a strong damn daddy, I'll tell you that. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: He's a kobold. There's there's these creatures that show up in German. Not that, the
3: programming uh, language, because if he is no, that, he needs to be no, hired right gonna, now he's by the people. six-figure job <laughs> on
2: him in Jersey.
3: We're, right. <laughs> we, we're talking oh. about the German cave spirit, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. And they're
2: sort of miners that that look like... Uh, Not uh,
3: young people, but people who dig. Right. All right. Got it. I'm helping. Yeah.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, one of our users is, is one of our... Who uh, sent me a bunch of research on them. And I find it fascinating because he's he's a real piece of mythology that uh, Tim has just discovered. You know that it was it was never something that it got into any of the books, and it's kind of unique to his folklore work. Is that you know people in the United States see this guy in flannel?
3: See, you, you know, know every and, every post yeah. of these questions or comments down here, they say Facebook user, Facebook user. But I see yeah, Billy Zane, and I know my wife's watching this show. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> Uh, but I think we can have some copycats now because I'm reading about Cardigan Man as well. Oh, my gosh,
3: I yeah. Like, Taffeta yeah,
0: Man. man. like, yeah,
3: Man. It would, right? <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> I, I I, think I've mentioned this before in the show. I suffer from sleep paralysis pretty, pretty badly, and I think mm. it's one of the things that got me interested in the paranormal because when I was a kid, like, I, didn't know, yeah, like I, I didn't know what I was experiencing and, you know, I have, I have it pretty bad and I've seen this stuff, you know, where I wanna, I'm just about to fall asleep.
3: Have any of yours been like succubus style? I've never, I feel like those people are lucky. Like, you know, it was like, it was
2: like <laughs> no, no, what I always see is the same friggin' thing is it's I'm, I'm, I'm waking up from sleep and I can't move. And I always have the same feeling as I think I've died you know, I've, I've had a hundred of these things and I always think, well, I, I'm dead now. And this is the last couple of minutes before I expire. And I will see just a black form in the room. And yeah. it sort of has the vague look of sort of the witch with the hat on sort of like, really? okay. yeah. And it's always sort of the same. And then as I start to become more alert and come out of it, it literally disappears. It, it fades away and disappears. Um, but Maybe every sixth sleep paralysis incident I have, I'll see something weird like that, and I never get used to it, and it's always terrifying. So mm-hmm. yeah. And when I was a kid, you know, my mom was like, "Oh, that's a demon," and I'm like, "Thanks, mom." Uh- <laughs> my mom was like that
0: too. Mom- that's an alien, Karen. <laughs> you know, so it did. Become- <laughs> ET is real, yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, you know, yeah, but was, that's the story of the black eyed
2: kids
0: i love that story and just just briefly there are so many fun stories on youtube a lot of uh sightings and personal experiences that people have. did we lose late there
3: there you know i was i was cleaning my nose
0: <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know you could pause it to do that yeah. but i'm just wondering if uh you've you know of anyone or have spoken with anyone who's had a personal experience because it seems like there are a lot of stories that are out there and, and they're all just such fun stories.
2: I have never spoken to anyone who has had a personal black eyed kid experience, but I have spoken to many people who have spoken to someone who has had a <laughs> okay,
0: friend of a friend.
3: Well, <laughs> but, but I mean, there's active stories coming out now. I mean, Oh, that, the, oh yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah.
3: which I, is fascinating because if we know the inception date of this creature and we know that it infected sort of, I'm going to call it the meme pool, um, and has grown uh, and mutated. We, we we have people who seem to be, and I mean, maybe not all of them, but some of them seem to be reporting sincere experiences. And I, I just wonder how that works. I am fascinated because I don't think these are real creatures, but I think it's people are reporting real experiences that seem to be shaped by these stories, like it seems to be influencing the, the things that they're experiencing.
0: There are some people too who claim, uh, who link their experiences to sicknesses. Oh, and, and after I had this visit from these black eyed kids, then I developed cancer or yeah. something bad happened. I got sick in, in some way. So um, do
2: you guys, but I have observed a couple of phenomena amongst rational people who, who are open, what I would call legitimately open-minded. And one is, they have a hard time telling the difference between things they have dreamed and remember and things yeah. that they have experienced and remember. Yeah. And I, I have known people who talk about their dreams as if they were physical, uh, active memories. And mm-hmm. then people also create memories. You know, yeah. we, uh, Joe Nickel has observed that where people will tell a story in 1968 and then when they're telling it 1998, it's completely different. You know, memory right.
3: um, memory um, mutates. That's real,
2: right? Yeah. Easy. Because you don't. We now know the way the memory works is you don't remember the original incident. You remember the last time you remember it. Yeah. So you're sort of rewriting your hard disk every single time. So I think very honest people um, create memories and create thoughts.
3: Yeah. Um, this is memory exactly. Yeah. It's 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 got to be refreshed. And when you recall it, even if you don't say it out loud, you're changing the memory. And we, Karen and I talked about this. I, I was remembering a, a very powerful paranormal experience that I had. It turned out to be not paranormal, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But when I was telling her the story, I realized I had written it down uh, in 2007. And so I went back to verify my facts, and I realized they've changed. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the gist of the story is the same, but a whole bunch of things had changed. And so I, I, I trued it up to the write down from 2007, but the incidents happened more than a decade before that. So I don't know how much has changed, you know, That's I know I talked. it's, it's tough. And it's like, you know, that this is the, it turns out that writing is a really important invention. Uh, mm-hmm. If you, if you want to have some kind of verifiable you know record you need to write right. things down when they happen and then go back and mm-hmm. check them later because it's uh our memories are liquid man it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
2: Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audio book. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter at Chinwag Pod and WagOn.
2: So. And that's why somebody pointed out that's why eyewitness testimony is so bad. And it really, yeah.
3: is, like,
2: you know, the story of the dead panda, where the panda got out, it was actually killed like five minutes after it got out of the zoo. The <laughs> that
3: Gary, that. that's a great story. But you, like, let me tell you the story about how, like, uh, um, like I, oh man t- this is this this is flopping horribly but i mean you basically started with the spoiler so you know, it's like yeah. that story is best told as panda escapes from zoo people reported all over the city later found right. to have died oh. almost immediately after leaving I'm
2: zoo. <laughs>
0: well
2: there's something there's an incident from our life that's not paranormal at all where, yeah. where i got something spilled on me uh, and i swear it happened one way like i see it vividly in my mind happening this way where a pizza got dumped on me i'm not going to go into the details because i don't know what the story is and i remember it happening this way and my wife swears it did not happen that way that it happened a complete and she has just a vivid as vivid a memory of this happening a completely different way than i do and neither mm-hmm. one of us know I, I what actually happened because we didn't recall it very much at the time and then you know i tried to tell that story later and she's like that is not the way that happened Yeah, so, <laughs> but and i it, see it, it in my mind happening that way
3: <laughs> it's frustrating because like it the human nature is to to double down like no no yeah. i'm certain no, no, you know right. yeah, yeah and, and and this has been so frustrating for me as the more i learn about memory is you know and you know skeptical research around it and I just – I don't trust my own memory. I don't trust other people's memories. And people take it very personally if you don't just accept what they say and say, like, I don't mean anything by it. I'm skeptical of all of it, including me. You know, so yeah.
2: mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of Black Eyed Kids sightings now are kids buying those – 39.99 contacts and just freaking people out. I mean, I did maybe, uh, maybe I, I used to fake Bigfoot photo of feet and all kinds of stuff. Like, I was a terrible hoaxer mm-hmm. when I was a kid, so yeah, I would totally be down for that today. I mean, I freely admit it. Um, mm-hmm. speaking of not being able to trust things, I know you guys want to keep it to an hour. That's a great segue for Aurora because one thing you as hell can't trust is historic newspaper accounts. What
0: um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> with old newspapers, can't trust
2: them. Yeah. Can't trust them. You know, in the trust new
3: new newspapers. That's no,
0: can't (laughs) depends (laughs) on the (laughs) source.
3: Yeah, before we even start the story, I would say it's important to remember, and that's what we tried to talk about in our our recent episode on on newspaper stories. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: You you need to bring to the paper or anything your own critical thinking skills. You know, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: who benefits? you know who where are the sources all this stuff matters but
0: age <laughs> the source
3: <laughs> but man well, the 19th century was a different time so people
2: people think that people in the past are just like less smart versions of us and it is not true i mean mm-hmm. before the scientific revolution and i know i always talk about Karl popper on the show but before popper and before sort of thinking about objective information like people lived in a world where folklore and and lore and tall tales were a part of the reality right so you'd pick up the newspaper and there would be these very boring stories about the price of cattle and you know what president taft said and things like that and then right next to it there would be a ghost story or some <laughs> bullshit that mark twain and they would report it as straight news and in those mm-hmm. days people either knew it was crap or they didn't and nobody cared like mm-hmm. there was no public consciousness about what the media reported all all newspapers were considered entertainment in those days mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know after they stopped just reporting what was going on in the senate and in parliament they became sort of uh, entertainment venues and whenever i used to teach college and i would tell people to you know you would need to look at some newspaper sources i was like man it you 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 need to see this is a starting point, not as an end point, because most of what you read in these old newspapers, unless it's just numbers and, you know, quotes is probably something that somebody cooked up. Mm-hmm. And in the late something weird happened in the late 19th century, where the whole planet got obsessed with uh dirigibles, uh, what we call zeppelins or, you know, blimps now in in the middle 1850s, a French guy invented the first. Pilotable dirigible, which was a hydrogen gas-filled um, vapor barrier, what they call a vapor barrier in air, or a balloon, that had a, a motor on the bottom, a steam-powered motor, and it could it could fly through the air and change directions just like a ship sailing through the air. And by the 1890s, this was the next big thing. Like this, you know, was a new technology that everybody was talking about. You know, Jason, um, next
3: is the thing you know yeah. is coming. You You're know, it's coming. Right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and von Zeppelin in 1890 had capitalized the company at 100,000 Deutschmarks to build a, a pilotable, dirigible and in... Uh, Ooh, how much again, is
3: that in real money?
2: Don't real <laughs> money in modern, 100,000 Deutschmarks in modern money it was probably close to a half a billion dollars. Like that's some serious cash back in those days, you know, and uh, a great... A great book came out in 1886, if you've never read it. It's called Robert Le Conquerant, uh, Robert the Conqueror. And it's about a dude. Uh, they made a great movie out of it uh, in the 50s with Vincent Price and a very young Charles Bronson. Okay. Uh, and man, well, this it is a great is, um, book. It's called The Master the, of the World.
3: Master of the World. I know this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah He's yeah. got a dirigible, right? Is that Jules Verne? It, yeah.
2: It was, it was based on this novel by Jules Verne. Yeah. And yeah. it's about this guy, Robert, who's going to pacify the world. He's sort of Captain Nemo of the air, is essentially yeah. what it is. Yeah. So this is a bestseller. It's all in the zeitgeist and everything. And, you know, you've got all these people racing to build these dirigibles. And so the world gets balloon crazy. This is one of those things we've just completely forgotten about. And so mm-hmm. people start to see them. Uh, they start to see uh, experimental dirigibles over the English Channel. And for some reason, people really start to see them in the Midwest and in Texas. And Texas becomes the hotspot for these dirigible sightings. And, and in the late 1890s, this was called The Great Airship Flap. Uh, there's a good book about it by Daniel Cohen called The Great Airship Flap. And if you can find it, it is just super fascinating. But go to any newspaper in the 1890s, you don't have to even scroll a couple of pages before you find a story about the airship. So um, one of the things that emerges as a part of the great airship flap is a news story out of Aurora, Texas, uh, that got Mm -hmm. reported in um, 18 uh, on, uh, I'll have to look at my notes, April 19th, 1897. So we're pretty close to the anniversary, it'd be a, a hundred and if my math is right, eleven years uh, this week. Um, about oh, yeah. the airship, about the airship crashing and hitting a windmill uh, in a guy named Judge J.S. Proctor's uh, property, and uh, on board the airship was a quote-unquote Martian, and they took the Martian and they they gave him a Christian burial in the local <laughs> Aurora Cemetery, and they took all the bits and pieces of the airship that hadn't been picked up by souvenir hunters and threw them down Judge Proctor's well. I guess at that time a well was not valuable, so they poisoned it with these (laughs) airship pieces. And and, uh, the author of that story uh, sent it over to the Dallas Morning News out on the wire, and it got published on uh, April 19th, 1897. And this is one of those things that what MUFON, I think, calls it incident zero. Uh, it's also been called the uh, Texas Roswell, and it is popularly documented as the first incident of an extraterrestrial uh, spacecraft crashing um, into Earth, and uh, and people having an encounter with the creature. And it almost uh, completely uh, parallels um, the Roswell incident of a few years later. And one of the things I think is so interesting, and God, I wish I wish this were true the guy who covered up who came up with the UFO stuff from Roswell was a dude from Texas. So I kind of wonder, Oh God, was he, did he have that? Did he remember that from his childhood? It would be so cool if he did, you know, but yeah, um, this is, I guess, area zero or whatever. And, uh, people forgot about it. They had a good laugh. Uh, it was one of hundreds of uh, airship stories that, uh, that were published, um, Aurora at that time was a dying community. The railroad had yeah. passed it by. Today, it is a kind of a tidy suburb of uh, of Fort Worth. Uh, when, it's, worth when Vicky, it's worth
3: it's worth mentioning that even though we think about this as being well, this is in the before the turn of the century. This is you know the the eighteen hundreds, mm-hmm. but they had um, the national uh, telegraph system it was oh, possible yes. for things to go viral back then, which is, oh, yeah. they didn't call it going viral, but that's really
2: important. <laughs> yeah. so. um, uh, yeah, I, flash forward to the murder mystery. I'm actually working on a murder mystery right now. That's been unsolved for a hundred years this year. And I've actually solved the damn thing and have the documentary evidence to prove it. Teaser, teaser. <laughs> and uh, my, <laughs> my, publisher, my publisher is yelling at me probably through this Facebook thing to be writing that book tonight, instead of talking to you guys. But um That story went worldwide for six months. It got picked up in Germany, Australia, and and it had to be going out over packet mail and telegraph because, you know, a pretty white girl gets murdered and uh, the murder is unsolved. It's always been popular news. And I mean, you know, it happened in early July. It was showing up in August in Sydney. So, you know, this things went viral. You know, in those days, and because of the telegraph service, uh, telegraphers like to pull people's legs, and a lot of early stories—it's uh, right in the word yeah. telegrapher,
3: yeah, <laughs> telegrapher—they
2: um, would make extra money by 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 making up bullshit and sending it into the papers, and that's well documented. I mean, Thomas Edison did that; he was a telegrapher whenever he was a kid, and you know. Uh, he used his skills to get ahead of other inventors by listening in on their on their telegraph messages. So that's shocking. You know, that's shocking that Edison would (laughs) would do something that that in that that controversial yet so successful. (laughs) Right, right. So
3: what's
2: what's fun about this story is it uh, it it comes out, everybody's like, Oh, how could he possibly know about you know, men from Mars and all that stuff? Well, I mean, somebody wrote a book that same year and was publishing it in a serialized format uh, in Cosmopolitan magazine called War of the World's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by hd wells the very year that uh that this story comes out wells is right there next the to wells.
3: 23 victorian sex secrets that he doesn't want sex, you to that know. he doesn't
2: that <laughs> he doesn't want you to know about and all I, of them involve the ankle
3: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is funny to me how cosmos changed so it, it was literally it yeah it's changed a lot so yeah
2: so um The police gazette has not changed. That thing is still around. If you pick that up, it's still just as lurid as it ever was. But so, I mean, this is obviously a gag, right? Like I went back and did the research. Other people have done this stuff, but the, a guy named, uh, Weems. And the reason why I was interested in this is because I went to school with a guy named Mark Weems and we thought he might've been related to this dude because he was Mm. from Fort Worth. Um, the guy named TJ Weems was supposedly the local signal Corps officer who identified the body as being from Mars. Now, the U.S. Signal Corps
3: in those days... We're back on the Aurora story now. (laughs) Aurora, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: He's the guy that said that this body was from Mars and identified it as a UFO because he was a Signal Corps officer and an expert in astronomy. Whenever I researched Mr. Weems, he was a Confederate... bull farrier, or a donkey farrier, and the local blacksmith. (laughs) He was not an expert in astronomy, and he had been a member of the Confederate Army, so he sure as hell was not in the U.S. single corps. And he died in the early uh, 1900s, so they were probably dunking on the local unreconstructed Confederate by putting him in the U.S. Army. (laughs) That's (laughs)
3: funny. So So, so farriers, uh, for, for listeners who don't know, these are blacksmiths or they make shoes for horses, hooved animals, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. And this guy for the Confederates made jackass hooves <laughs> or jackass shoes. <laughs> so so the joke, like the joke just keeps running. Right. And the, the guy who wrote the story, S.E. Hayden was a local cut up and you can go back now and go into the library uh, of Congress. Now that we have keyword searchability and find all the crazy stories he wrote, like he constantly pulled people's leg and wrote uh, uh, goofy poems and funny limericks and stuff like that. So it was clearly a gag, but by 1960 people forgot, I guess people didn't have a sense of humor in the sixties. Cause this thing got dug up hard and heavy and it, it built careers and ruined lives. Mufon got involved in it. A guy named Bill case, who was the local uh, uh, aviation writer and the Mufon field captain for uh the Dallas area. Uh, He wrote for the Dallas uh, times Herald, which was sort of the liberal paper in Texas. This is the one my parents took. Uh, And he covered this thing uh, heavily in the late seventies and early eighties. And he died in the middle of all this. Right. So that immediately created a ton of, of, uh, of suspicion. Uh, They claimed that they found a headstone um, at the site uh, that disappeared. Um, they stuck some metal rods down into the ground. The local police came and arrested everybody. And it became very controversial in the community at that time in the early eighties was a retirement community, an old farming community, very religious, very superstitious, and they didn't want anything to do with this stuff. So they shut it all down. Um, I first heard about it right about that time. I would have been about 10, 11 years old, Uh, And every year, probably to the present day, around Halloween in Dallas, they run a story about it. They put the spooky music on, did an alien crash at, you know, Aurora, Texas. And Uh when I got my first, uh, whenever I got into college and got my first paycheck, um, the first two cases I wanted to investigate was the crash at Aurora and the murders up in Texarkana. So we can maybe talk about Texarkana later because that's a cool case. The killing's there. But Vicki and I headed out. We went to Aurora, and we did the one thing every investigator needs to do when they re- research a case. We took a lot of pictures. Uh, yep. I had an old 110 camera just like Carl Kolchak. I had that very same <laughs> Carl Kolchak camera. Okay. <laughs> the that's, one that you could slide and snap. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I took tons of pictures. And uh, mm-hmm. threw him in a box, and we did all this research, and we, we met with Mrs. Brennan, who had been the mayor there, and she had done some research on it. We did the old reel-to-reel archives. We found the exact spot where, the, uh, where Judge Proctor had his windmill that supposedly crashed, and I want to say something about that in a minute, um, using um, Bill Case's notes in the paper and his maps and the old land-grant maps uh, from the area. And mm-hmm. we basically called it a day. Then in 2005, the History Channel runs a uh, a special on it. And we're like, oh, this will be fun. You know, this will be old home week. We'll put this on. You know, we were living in, in Texas at the time we put it on. And they showed a gravestone for the spaceman that we did not see <laughs> in 1993. And, you know, we went through our stuff and we dug out our pictures and it's like, you know, lions, sons of bitches. There was no gravestone there. We have pictures of this exact spot. So it was like, ah, so this is just, this is just MUFON being MUFON, right? So we we put it on the drawer. Then 2008, the sequel show to UFO Files. Let me get the name for you because this one's still, this one's still online. UFO Hunters comes out and mm-hmm. they say, aha, we found Jug- Judge Proctor's well. <laughs> and right. we're going yes. to dig it up.
3: Yeah, yeah, so, yep, I saw that.
2: So Vicky and I get on the thing and we're like, there was no well there. We found the exact spot that they investigated in the 60s and 70s that the old timers remembered being the spot, and there was it mm-hmm. was an empty field, there wasn't a damn thing there. Right. So they show this well house backed up against this property that's clearly built in the 50s, and they <laughs> they take they take the well house off and they find a slab with a 1947 date on it, and then below it is a, a straight up bucket well um which is clearly fairly modern like i figure the well was built in the 40s the well house was built in the 50s mm-hmm. that that was not the kind of well anybody from texas would know this that you put a windmill on a windmill does not go on a well that has a big ass hole in the ground that you would put a bucket down in a windmill has to go you drill a, a hole straight down my pipe dad pole, did this right? for years mm-hmm. you drill a pipe hole you drop a pipe in there and that yeah. that creates that, pre- that allows for negative pr- pressure and suction <laughs> I, mean, I had a windmill on the property i grew up on for god's sake so so this is like a this is like a sump well or a septic tank it's, it's not a even
3: a real well. you're talking about ufo yeah. 100. that's from yeah. bill burns so bill yeah. burns did ufo magazine and uh i think he yeah. must be 75 now but um yeah bill has a lot of fringe ideas i would say and i watched that series i really thought seriously it came out around the same time as paranormal activity or, or excuse me a uh, paranormal state and I, I kept thinking maybe i should do like an episode by episode takedown like jason <laughs> does and it's like yeah yeah they throw nah. out so much wacky stuff and i knew mm-hmm. i just sort of gave up because early on they did an episode and they talked about dowsing and yeah. they're skeptic was like pulling out dowsing rods and, and doing dowsing, and I'm like, okay, if yeah,
0: that's the skeptics, skeptic, yeah. probably done, right? <laughs> yeah, well, because well, in looking this story well, up on, on YouTube, um, it seems like the cemetery is a place for legend trippers now. A lot of people, it, don't it know is it. now.
2: So, so here's the part of the story I want to tell so that that spot that is in that show. I can't even verify it was actually on Proctor's property. Like somebody probably said it was, but again, we found the exact spot in 1993 and there was nothing there. You could see where there had been a house, you know, they didn't build concrete foundations in that part of Texas. In those days, they were all stick built places. We could, we could see that, you know, but it wasn't there. There was, and then other people at the time, uh, Ms. Brennan confirmed that there was never, that Proctor never had a windmill. That wasn't the kind of work he did. He, uh, mm-hmm. he was he was the local justice of the peace and he was a buyer he wasn't a, a cattleman so why would you invest you know a year's income in drilling a well or digging a well uh, for cattle when you didn't really need one so mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there but that that episode is com- a complete uh, case study in the evolution of this legend um, and the wikipedia mm-hmm. entry is too like that wikipedia entry changes all the time I wrote some of the early version of it. Uh, when Wikipedia first showed up and it was pretty good in the old days, but now people go in and they change it and they try to make it, make it more uh, hoaxy uh, and more fantastical than it ever was. And they've taken everything out about Bill case and his investigation in the seventies and eighties, all that yeah. controversy used to be up there and it's all gone now. And it yeah. focuses around UFO hunting. It's
3: really, I find it really fascinating that that relationship between the original story and and then the resurgence around the rise of UFO culture. I mean, there was a, a period of time in the UFO world where people were going back and trying to find historical cases. And yeah. the airship mystery was just such a great sort of field of fruit or whatever you want to call it, yeah. where they could like go out and harvest you know, all kinds anything. of stories. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, it's just, it, there's a lot of, there's shenanigans. I'm going to call it shenanigans. On a lot of yeah. stuff that happened around the '70s and '80s, around the UFO stuff, of looking but, back,
0: yeah, also to appear to give history to a lot of yeah, these stories. Oh, yeah, no, they we go back. back so far. Of course, they're real. There is some evidence
3: now that
2: that's coming out that there was that there may have been an airship club out in California. I don't know if you've heard about that, but there there was an incorporated airship club out there. Uh, Zeppelin himself at this time was working on his designs, so there is a possibility. Yeah, that I heard those places around the completed. world. Yeah, they are certainly, well, if I can, if I can sell one, it'll be a good year. Uh, This idea is going to land like a Led Zeppelin. Um, Exactly. Exactly. uh, So people probably did see some Zeppelins at a couple of places because it was extant technology and, and Zeppelin would have been flying his around Germany. And if there were some ballooning clubs, people would have seen them. But it's I mean, this a, just a, it's, it's
3: an airship. <laughs>
0: it's an airship.
3: Yeah.
0: But I think that uh, this is a really interesting point in general with you talking about uh, TV shows making up a lot of history yeah. and suddenly coming up with evidence that didn't exist previously. Um, I, I think that Blake and I have seen that a lot over the years with a, a lot of different oh, yeah. TV shows. Oh, yeah. We have
3: indeed. It's worth repeating because you never know who's only going to see one episode of the show. Karen, you want to tell a story?
0: Oh, which one?
3: <laughs> well, I, was, I was thinking about fact or fake. That's the one that always comes to mind. So, well,
0: it's, it's fake. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've We're, we're, so- <laughs> just, we're shrieking the name. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they um, they got in contact with my uh, husband and a former group of. Um, uh, investigators that he was working with and uh he had put a, a fake video onto youtube of it was really a promotional video for a tv show that he was working on at the time and it featured a a, a ouija board and uh so anyway they got in contact with him and his cronies and, and they said we'd love to use this in fact or fake to, as a, an example for our team and uh so anyway um they said yep we'll we're interested in this and so they offered them fifteen hundred dollars i think and Mm -hmm. then said but can you can you reshoot it and make it a little bit more convincing (laughs) so instead of taking it for what it is and giving it to their team to see if it's something that could have possibly been real if so what was it or was it faked uh they were wanting them to to actually refilm it and uh to to I guess play it up really and and make it seem more convincing, um, to just make it more interesting for for viewers and and to to also dupe the team too.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I I would the whole concept of being on a History Channel show right now is so dubious. Everything in TV in general. I mean, even if it's covering a fringe topic, just treat it as entertainment. Because mm-hmm. the chances mm-hmm. that it's actually sincere scientific investigation is basically zero. Basically zero. You know,
2: it's funny. In two thousand and six I was a historical advisor, an off camera advisor to the History Channel's program on the Alamo.
3: It was okay. a good it was
0: a good show. Wait, it wait,
3: was, what's the Alamo? I don't remember that
0: <laughs> remember uh, <it>. uh, <laughs> you remember <laughs> it.
2: It, it it has a basement full of stolen bicycles bicycles
3: yes yes. sir. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way i, I love it. san antonio and the elmo is beautiful.
2: i love it too i love the group I, I will toot my own home. one of the last thing i did before i left texas is i was the leader of the project that stole back the alamo from the daughters of the the republic of texas and got it back for the state um i i i I will outright say that the way the daughters ran that thing was blatantly racist and and okay. extremely controversial and not in the public's interest.
3: And didn't you know about uh, this. My boss I don't, I don't know about this, but I, w- I will tell you yeah. what I'm going to throw out on the side. I, I recently did a contract. Uh, not. This is like I'm an assassin. I did a contract job. In <laughs> I, <was Yeah>. like, <laughs> I did a bunch of IT work in, in, in San Antonio. And, uh, I had not been there since I was in the, uh, in the Navy when that's where I did my mm-hmm. security oh, yeah. training, ninety four forty five on the air force base or in Lackland. And, mm-hmm. um, I was just at Lackland. Yeah. Yeah. a beautiful base. Uh, but I love San Antonio. And so while I was there, I went uh, to all these different places and had Texas chili, which Texas chili, mm-hmm. no beans. It's just spicy stewed meat. It's fantastic. So yeah. I go back now and, I couldn't find chili anywhere. Like the no, whole culture no. changed. It was great. I asked the concierge at the hotel, where did all the chili go? He said, oh, you want to go to a Chili's? I'm like,
2: no. no I want no, a bowl no, of no, chili. It blew my mind, man. I was just—I I don't want to get off topic, but I'm going to talk real fast. Like no, I got is to visit, stuff, Jerry. This is I got—I got to visit the Alamo that I helped build. I—I I, I had not been back in ten years, and I—I I got VIP treatment when I was down there for AWP, which is the Association of Riding Professionals. And I got to hang out, you know, a little bit. You know, I, we we walked by there, some stuff like that, you know. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about San Antonio, all the good Mexican food is gone. Like San Antonio is like gentrified. Like it used to be the best place in the world to get Mex there was a there used to be a French restaurant on the Riverwalk. Now it's all just like the crappiest, most banal like it's just it's gone. Well, I mean, the reason why we left Austin is because it turned into LA. And if you like LA, I'm sorry, but Austin. I didn't want to live in it and Austin turned into that. It's terrible. And, you know, but one of the project was is we grabbed the Alamo back from the daughters and made it representative of, uh, of, uh, of real Texas history. And it was very exciting and it was a great project. And in 2006, we were working on that, you know, the anniversary uh, was coming up and, you know, we put together a blue book for the producers of the show of sort of objective, um, history, you know, and there's very few, true real documents about the alamo the reason why i got picked for the job is the archive that i was head of at the time uh had most 90 percent of those documents so they came in the producers and directors came in and said this is the story we want to tell we spent a year telling them that's complete bullshit they told that story anyway <laughs> because all they did was use our phds and our in our blue book as the as the sort of professional on-camera gravitas To tell the bull crap (laughs) that they they could have told without us. We were just there to lend diplomas to their stupid frigging story. And after that, I said I'd never work with these kind of chuckleheads again. We've had
0: experiences like that, too, with TV, unfortunately,
2: yeah. Yeah. This wasn't even paranormal stuff. Like, there was no reason. Like, the real story is just as interesting as the goofy you know, story they wanted to tell, which was mostly about how Davy Crockett wasn't really killed and all this well,
3: stuff. One of our listeners, unfortunately, everybody just says Facebook listeners, so I can't see who, talked about the fact that San Antonio is really kind of like the birthplace of Chile. And there were the, the Chile women of San Antonio is a really important historical yeah. fact. Uh, these women were like making Chile famous. And I just – it was heartbreaking to me to see this happen, like that this important cultural – History was just gone. Gone. Yeah.
2: And it so. it's really weird. Like it's the Mexican market doesn't have local stuff anymore. It's all yeah. sort of stuff from Mexico. It's, but I mean, that's gentrification for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah,
0: I have a lot I of. I've been there for about eight years, but last time I was there, they had lots of great vegetarian restaurants. <laughs> right.
3: Well, I mean, that's the joke, right? I, mean, I still,
0: by the way, I still
3: so. love San Antonio. It's great. But, yeah, but I still like it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Really My
0: favorite it.
2: restaurant there is we found like a hippie coffee place that had the great food and then of course Torchy's tacos is awesome, was that was was food tacos
3: is awesome. you're absolutely right yeah,
2: yeah. that was a food truck thing. down by the lake when we lived in Austin <laughs> or by the river actually.
0: yeah yeah The yeah. so we I mean <laughs> we went for a drive down that that area too because that's where uh you've got the San Antonio railroad tracks and yeah. the story of the kids pushing yes, yes. the bus yes. And, uh, yeah, there was uh, – it was far scarier than the San Inter- the ghosts of the, the San Antonio railroad tracks, but we uh, pulled into this area with all these trailers, and a woman came out with a shotgun and <laughs> was like, okay, we're getting out of here. I think that was we, far more uh, frightening we, we,
2: than Vic, Vic and I investigated those real early in our time together, and is all you need to sort of debunk that is a plumb bomb, and you're good to go. And it is one of the most unusual uh, spots because it truly looks like you are going up a fairly dramatic hill. But when you hold that plumb bomb, you you feel like you're standing level and it is
3: at a 45 degree angle. Okay, sorry, (laughs) I thought you were saying some kind of. Plumb bomb? What's that? Okay, I got it. it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It's
2: a weight on a string, you know. If I were holding it down here, it would be pointing straight at the ground. But you stand on those damn railroads. Sure, you're revealing your masonic secret,
3: Gary. That's what's happening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Got the. I I can I can put it on you,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
2: so yeah. all right so um, believe it i actually for the viewers i actually have a masonic altar set up right here for your uh for your viewing convenience <laughs> this is actually out of a masonic lodge in texas it's it shut cool. down
3: yeah are you supposed to is it are you allowed to touch it without an apron that's weird okay so. i've got an apron back
2: here i can get all dressed up for you if you want yeah
3: right. no no please don't okay sorry <laughs>
0: uh-huh so well, it sounds like we're gonna have to have jerry on again soon to talk about this uh, upcoming or this this investigation other investigations being exactly on and i didn't process. mean
3: to start a holy war in the i feel about chili the same way i feel about barbecue i understand yeah. that everyone who creates it feels like it's the best in the world yeah. and i just try to enjoy it when i'm there but what i don't enjoy mm-hmm. is having it disappear that is right. a tragedy. so um so,
2: I mean yeah. even uh even vegetarian chili is quite good. The recipe it's I make camping, is, yeah. is, it's
0: all is I have, I love is, it. But I I, 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 make, the beans.
2: I make meatless <laughs> terlingua chili. It uses the same spice packet as they use down in Terlingua. And I mean that's what that's the city that made Terlingua chili famous, although it was invented in San Antonio, uh, more or less. Um I didn't know that. Yeah and uh, the the spices that they use are pretty unique you know and when I go back to Texas I always try to pick some up um, but you can find that recipe and I tell you what it doesn't matter what you make chili out of like in the this idea that it's all got to be meat is fairly modern like in the yes. in the 18 in the 1900s they made it out of anything oh, really? anything yeah. that anything they could find it, to holes. me it feels
3: more like a it's like curry it's it's yeah. like you turn whatever you have into a spicy treat you know so you sure. yeah yeah, yeah. All All
0: right.
3: right. We're going to wind
0: up. Thank you so much, Jerry. It's always fun to have you on. Always good to see you and uh, great to keep in touch with you. And so so we'll have to have you on again very soon for your eighth or ninth. (laughs) It will be (laughs)
2: at number eight next time. I already got the blazer, so now I'm working towards (laughs) the (laughs) catalog.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All
3: right. Thank you so much for everybody who tuned in. I really appreciate
2: it. Yeah,
0: thank you for tuning in and uh and we'll be back next week. Yeah. And, um yeah, we. I think we need to finalize what we're going to be talking about and, and with whom, but we've got more shows lined up for the next month anyway yeah. at least.
3: Yeah, I think we're going to try to squeeze Skinwalker Ranch into an hour. That'll be fun, so we'll see how that goes. So. The,
0: new, the new TV show, yeah.
3: Yeah, the new TV show. We should clarify. So.
0: Yeah.
3: All right, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I'm going to click the button, and then we'll have okay. a few seconds where we talk like we're on an old sitcom, and then eventually yeah. it'll, it'll end. So.
0: Yeah. Good night, guys.
3: Monster dog. You've been listening to a podcast version of Monster Talk Live, a special feature that we recorded during 2020. Links to the video version of these episodes are in the show notes. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll work to continue to provide good content there, including more streaming events in the future. Monster Talk is a listener-supported program, and your subscription at patreon.com forward slash monster talk sustains us during these difficult times. Thank you for your support and for your positive reviews. I'm Blake Smith. And along with my co-host, Karen Stolzno, we ask you to join us in being the voice of reason and science in a world that's perilous with nonsense, superstition, and dangerous misinformation. Shine your lights, everyone. Even a flickering candle can be seen for miles in the darkness. And together, we are stronger. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening.